I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. Yeah, I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told. So I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Special edition of the Leaf Report podcast. Ray Ferraro is a huge fan of the Leaf Report podcast. I can say that confidently. I, I have done some analytics on it, and uh, yes, absolutely so. 72% of the time I'm in. Well, we are obviously honored to have you here. Um, Thank big you. Big fans, both of us. James is on Slack. Um, so I think we have to start. James, you can talk in a second. Um we have to start with the coronavirus stuff. Do we call it COVID-19 or what the hell do we call it? Uh, like, like my advice for it, I don't know. I, I, I like your policy. You know, like who, who are we exactly to, you know, to be uh, offering advice for? You know, when it first started, I think I was probably like a lot of people in North America saying, you know, like, we're talking about the flu, right? And then it's become evident that's... You know, if you listen to the World Health Organization, who I prefer to to listen to because I think they're probably probably in the know, um, you know, you realize, man, it's it's more serious than that. And we could take steps to limit, potentially limit and flatten out what can be a, a spike. 
which is what's happened in some of the other places. So why wouldn't we do that? But man, I, I don't know. I read something today and I read something tomorrow and I'm like, man, I can't, I can't keep up with this. I, I say it doesn't affect me, but I've washed my hands more in the last week than I have in 10 years. I have, um, everything I do now, it triggers right in my brain. Like, what did I touch? What did I do? Who am I near? That, that sort of thing. It's, I don't know how you could just say, yeah, I'm not going to worry about it and forget about it. That's the last night at the game. That's the first time I've sat at a game and been like, I don't know if I should be here. I don't know if any of us should be here. And that's such an odd feeling in your job where it's like one of the most comfortable places being. I mean, how many times have you been in an NHL arena? And like yeah. you're sitting there looking around and like, I don't know if this should did exist. You, did you grab press notes? No. <laughs> no, like I looked at them and I'm like, well, and, and of course I grab them every game and I'm like, eh, I probably don't need them today. I'll, I'll be fine. And I, I just... I don't know. I'm standing down between the benches. I think it's probably likely somebody's going to sneeze at some point in the next three hours. And I'm just hoping it's not the guy next to me. And I'm like, but I don't even know if that's right. You had another broadcaster down there in yeah. there with you, right? Yeah, and Brian Engblom. Really close quarters. I was watching you down there and it's like, well, like you're closer to the players and to uh, Engblom than, than we're allowed to get to the players right now with the way they've set everything up. And you're we, right in the fire. Yeah, we had a we had a pretty good conversation before the game. I said, hey, if you got to sneeze, make sure you sneeze the other way. He's like, I'm worried about you. And so like, and it's, and he had been told this would be the last game he's doing from between the benches. So that's what Tampa Bay is doing. Um, and so for the rest of the season, whatever that might be, uh, Brian's going to be upstairs. And I would suspect if we're not there now at, at TSN, we will be there because at the end of the day, I'm the guy standing there and I need to be comfortable standing there. And because I don't know, I mean, I still think it's really unlikely, but do I really want to add to my risk, which I already have by flying around like I do to get to the games, to go home and infect my family and then Cammy and the and our two boys are 13 and 10 and say, oh yeah, by the way, uh, I tested positive for COVID and we're, uh, um, you know, we're locked in the house for the next two weeks. Like, why would I want to take or multiply my risk by any factor? I wouldn't. And that's what's so weird about this whole thing is it's like we're covering hockey games and it kind of feels like sort of meaningless all of a sudden and, and it, I don't want it to. It's like, it's our work, it's our thing, but you're watching this game and you're thinking in the back of my mind, what are 20,000 people doing in a pl- in one place when there's like this outbreak? Like I'm having, I, I don't want it. Like I wish our, we weren't even talking about this. I don't even know if we should talk about this, but it feels so big that it almost makes the other stuff kind of feel. No, no, it, it has to be part of the discussion. And really it's hard to discuss anything past this unless this is dealt with first. Now, my son Landon plays in, in Berlin in the German League, and uh, he called me at about 6.30 in the morning, Eastern time on uh, Tuesday. And uh, I'm like, man, that's early. Like, you know, I, gee, I hope everything's okay. And he said, uh, yeah, I think our season's going to get shut down. And I'm like, well, that happened fast because they were going into a bye week because they were of their playoff standing. And he said, uh, yeah, we have a, there's a conference call with all the teams and the government at 2.30, and then we have what's supposed to be a playoff dinner at 5.30, you know, for all the staff and everything. And he goes, that might be the season-ending dinner. And as it turned out, that's what it was. Boom, finished. More and more the way around the NHL are talking, that could potentially happen here. Like the Golden State Warriors are going to be playing a game with no fans, mm-hmm. I think, tomorrow. 
And it sounds like Columbus, that could potentially happen in the NHL, but that's a short step away from there not being a rest of a season or playoffs or... Do you remember, you know, like uh, when we were all younger and sitting there reading the whatever stats guide or something or other that we had, you know, and it would say 1919... Stanley Cup canceled due to influenza. And and I remember, I've seen that thing a thousand times. One going, of the players died. Right, but I didn't know that till now. But I, I looked at that and I'm like, they canceled the thing because of the flu? Well... And it seems really primitive and... It, yeah. That's my point, is it's like, oh, that can't happen. Except, eventually, unless you're playing with no people there, or you can only have a person every fourth seat... Like, how are you going to, how can you say we're banning large gatherings, oh, but the NHL game is okay, or the NBA game is okay? You can't. And I know there's some people that think it's way overcautious and, um, you know, and panic-stricken and and they just don't believe it. But I I look at some, some other places that are, that I respect uh, their decision-making. Um, Switzerland would be one of them. And South Korea is oh well. I was in there for the Olympics, and I've never seen a more organized place in my life. And South Korea shut down just about everything. Great healthcare system, you know, very yeah. wealthy, well organized country. And you know, you just said something that's probably, I think, the point that gets overlooked, and that's as much as it's about flattening the curve of of people getting infected, it's about giving the healthcare system a chance. So if if you've got fifty beds in your in your local hospital that can deal with a respiratory illness and 60 people show up now what 600 <laughs> it's like yeah, it sounds like in italy say, like yeah 60 to 50 people can't even get into the hospital that's it. that's a, 60 to 50 is a problem 600 to 50 is an impossibility and and that's really why it's all so critical that the doctors try and accumulate as much information as they can so they can advise us and then you do the best you can. Uh, like, it's it's crazy stuff. Well, and I've been trying to think of, like, if I was in the league office, I would be freaking out because I don't know what to do. Like, it's so much uncertainty. They're trying to figure out. They would just be sitting in a room like this, like we are, and being like, what should we do? Like, should we cancel games? Well, are we at that point yet where we can do that? Should we cancel the season? Like, what – if you were in that office and Gary Bettman said to you, like, Ray, what do we do? My, I guess you'd probably say talk to the WHO, talk to the CDC. And- I would say let's take our, our cues from there. And before we get to postponing or to canceling everything, let's look at a postponement for a few weeks. Like if the Stanley Cups gets Stanley Cup has to be delayed, the playoffs. And the WHO says, you know what, by in three weeks, um, things have flattened out that we're more comfortable with public gatherings, if that might be the case. And you got to award the Stanley Cup July the 4th. Then start next year a little later if you have to. Like, so what? If that's the inconvenience of this all, so what? Like, but instead of, I guess my point is, instead of dropping the hammer right now, kick the can down the road. People do what they can to help flatten the, the contagion rate. And you make a decision a couple of weeks down the road. Like, the, you can't just wish it away. This is probably going to hurt the NHL more than the other leagues, right? Because it's such a gate revenue-driven league. Like, the TV deal is such a small piece of... So if you have to refund a whole bunch of season ticket holder money, 
I'm sure the oh, NHL is probably wants to, is going to be the they're going to follow the cues of the other league. They're not going to be leading the charge to do this. Um, I was reading Frank Saravelli's piece today about insurance and what the leagues might have, and uh, most leagues apparently buy insurance for various different things. But it's the way that stuff is categorized. I guess like if you've ever made a home claim on insurance, if you had a flood or something, if it's categorized wrong, that insurance doesn't take hold. And so this is, like, financially is critical, right? Like, you were just writing an article last week whether the, the cap, James, might be flat or $84 million or possibly to 88 And you're like, well, now that, that article, well, that article is now old because of this, right? You're like, holy smokes, man. Like I did mention this as a potential problem in the, in the oh, story. Did? I think it was in small print. <laughs> it, was, so, it, was, it was towards the bottom okay. where, where it said, like, all, you can throw all this out the window because if, if they – because the way that the, the NHL is going to have to – the way that they can calculate the cap and escrow and all of that, it's all related to revenue. So if you all of a sudden subtract 15 or 20% of your revenue for the season, all that's thrown out the window. Or the cap goes way down and escrow goes way up. Right. Like there, the uncertainty of it all um, is many layered. It's not just about whether there's going to be fans at a game in San Jose. There is – there's well, a lot more far reach to this. What you do, if they say, you know what, we, we can't be certain of anything, we recommend you playing the rest of your games this season without fans. I wonder, like, how you decide that. Like, what if the whole playoffs had no fans? Then they have no fans. But don't forget, there is, uh, there is TV money. Yeah. Um, because the games would go on. There'd be six of us in the building. Would you, know, you get in? Well, if my credential got me in to broadcast the game. I don't know that maybe maybe you wouldn't. Somebody would have to cover it or else it would be in the middle of the maybe forest. They just put a TV. Some of the, the European leagues, the, all they have there is like sound and camera guys. And peop- and, and the broadcasters are calling it from tube, remote right? location. And yep. the media are writing about it off the TV. Okay, again, look, that's so far beyond ideal. But so what? Like, if, if that's what we kind of have to do, and that's what people way smarter than us and way more experienced than us say, then that's what we have to do. I will say this. For the eight millionth time, the stupidity of Twitter is, is really something to behold. And so you've got a, a scientist whose life work is, is dealing with probability and contagions, and, and you have people saying, this guy's an idiot. And you're like... How, how you might not agree with what he says, but I'm almost certain he's probably got a better chance at predicting this thing than we do. Well, maybe not you guys, but me, for sure. Climate change isn't real, Ray. It's, it's a hoax. Do you know that's why winters get cold? Yes. See, and that's why summers are hot. The the thing I've learned with with Twitter and all that, and and like on our site, we can see how many people read an article and how many people comment, and the number of people that are commenting, it's like one percent of the audience. So, like you're seeing, like the, I think Twitter is just like the most. It's not reflective of reality. Like that's I, a, you know what that's a really good way of of putting it because I know like um, I'll, I'll do a game, and if it's a big game, there's you know my timeline is is filled, and. I can get 20 great comments and two bad ones, and the two bad ones carry the weight of 5,000. You know, you're like, 
it, it bothers you or bothers me. Well, and then I'm, the stuff's so insane what people are saying. And then I'm like, you know, why am I, I'm gradually getting to the point of like caring less and less about it. I wish I didn't have to, but the, you know, back to the, the doctors and stuff like the, the venom that comes out, like, is that what people really say in conversations? I don't think so, but man, they have no problem. They no problem spewing that. Like I would think, okay, so, and, and I'll just use myself as an example. So I played 18 years in the league. This is my 17th year as a broadcaster. I've been around the NHL for 35 years. I would think I have some clue about what might be going on. So I'll give you an example of last night. Tampa Bay comes out, uh, Tuesday night. Uh, Tampa Bay comes out, and it's like they forgot their skates. Toronto is, like, driving them into the ice. And so I, I said, I, you know, I can't believe that, you know, Tampa's played this way. I said this during the game. Um, the danger for Toronto is they're only up one, um, but they are not happy. So some guy tweets at me and says, um, what happened was uh, Cooper went in, reminded them they're only down one, and they came out with a better effort. But I'm standing three feet from the bench. That's not what happened. Like, I do, my, my point is my experience and my ears tell me what I just heard. And also when they had a player ready to do an interview after the first period, Cooper walked by and said, no effing interviews, pulled the headset away, and the guy had to walk into the room. It was not a pat on the ass. Hey, good try, fellas. We'll try better next period. So, the like Twitter is, it's, it's a cesspool in a lot in a lot of ways. Yet we all need to be on it, and for ninety percent of my interaction, I love it, and not because somebody tells me I'm doing a great job, but because somebody might question something, and I send him a note back, and then he tells me what he thinks, and I send him another note back, and you end up in a hockey conversation, and I'm like. Man, that was really cool. I find that more and more a lot of media people are just like not interacting anymore and they're not reading it and they're and it's a shame because like what you're talking about that's what I like about it too is that there's a lot of really positive stuff that happens on there and I feel like the worst 10 or 15% of people ruin it for like it could be such a a positive medium. It could be such a connector of of media and athletes and fans and idea. But it gets yeah. ruined by these idiots. Like when you when somebody points something out I'm like, "Hmm, I never thought of that. I think that's really cool. And so I'll send them a note back, you know, a direct message them. And then you end up in a four text thing back and forth. And you've had a good hockey chat with somebody you would have never met before. Like I, I'll, I'll tweet James about an, something in an article. And we end up in a debate or discuss, debate more often than not. But I think that's really kind of cool that you can do that. Like that I can do that, that we can discuss something that otherwise would just be there and you're just yelling at the clouds like the Simpsons' grandfather. <laughs> right. See, I'm in the camp that you're, he's talking about. I just don't chuck it at all. Yeah. And, and, and that's probably not great for what I do, but I just don't think mentally it's right. And it kind of, I wanted to ask you, what do you think it'd be like as a player dealing with that? Because we've heard, like, oh. especially in recent weeks, Matthews, Marner, especially talk about like the influence that that has on them and you can just see like you're you're 22 years old you got a phone mm -hmm. you have instagram like you probably once in a while just check your name and see just what's up crazy crap about you i can't i can't imagine what those guys like the volume that they would have um it is i'm sure way more difficult for a 22 year old to ignore it but 
I got to think at some point, you know, uh, and I'll use Matthews and Marner as an example. Matthews has got 47 goals. Marner had 95 points last year. They make over $10 million a year. Why, why do they need affirmation from anybody? Yet the way social media is and the way the youth are, like that's important. Well, so why they came? Look? They grew up in a world where that right. was like why? But why look? I mean, we can tell them. But that's us too. That's I'm like looking. everybody wants yeah. affirmation. And, sure. And the, I think the dangerous part about it, what I've learned myself, is I don't want the good stuff and I don't want the bad stuff because I don't want to be searching for good stuff. I don't want that to be the reward system for me. That in my brain, I'm like, I need people to tell me I'm doing a good job. I feel like I need to know and like he, James needs See, to know. And this like is, that's got to be enough for me because if I'm constantly searching the good stuff, then I'm going to get the negative stuff and I don't think either really benefits me. Uh, it doesn't and that's a that's really a, the correct way to, I think, to go at it. Now, when I was playing, I didn't need the coach to tell me whether I played a good game or not. Like I could get two goals and go, man, I suck tonight. I was terrible, but the puck bounced on my stick and I shot it in the net twice, but I was awful. And then some nights, like seriously, I'd be – no points, minus two, and go, I was terrific tonight. I played a great game, and the goalie was good at the other end. I set up a couple of good chances, and one guy, one puck deflected in off three guys' feet, and that's just the way it goes. But when you're in broadcasting, there is no, like, there is no system like that because so much of it is personal preference. Now, I, I work really hard at trying to be prepared and trying to be um, – trying to be as legit to myself as I can be. And that's why I, like for me, I'm probably different than a lot of broadcasters. Like it would be hard to find another broadcaster that cares less about what team wins than I do. Like I honestly, I want the game to be as good as it can be. And so I can like, so I can just evaluate it and comment on it. Man, when, when it, when the Leafs win, or the Leafs lose, it doesn't matter to me one iota because if they win the Stanley Cup and I'm awesome to them and I'm kissing their ass all year, nobody's going to say at the Stanley Cup parade, oh, and by the way, uh, thanks to Ray for being really nice to us in the broadcast. That's not what the job is, and that's what yeah. a lot of fans don't. Like, I get it all the time. You're a big Leafs homer, and it's like, well, like four years ago when they were bad and I was ripping them all the time, everyone said I hated the Leafs. So it's, But we want good stories, and we want to tell good stories well. We want that, that's, that's the job. Right. There's, there isn't there like, there's a satisfaction, you know, out of the volume of work that you guys do and that I do. The satisfaction is on those days that you know, man, I nailed that. You don't need anybody else to tell you. There's been a few games where I walk away and I go, that was awesome. And you just know it. You, you caught something that you know other people didn't get. You, you know, our, our truck, you know, the guy, the producer and director and the tape guys, they were able to get an angle and I was able to verbalize what was going on. And it was a really important moment. Um, uh, Gord and I, Gord Miller and I did the uh, San Jose Vegas crazy game last year. And man, we were all over that third period. Like it walking out of there, we felt like, oh my God, we got that. Like that was great. But there's some nights you come out and you go, ah, it was okay, I kicked this around. For me, it's like uh, what I critique myself on the most is sometimes I'll get stuck in a thought and the play is going on and I can't find an exit ramp. And I'm like, I can't, I, in my head, I'm like, shut up, Ray. And I can't. 
and then pretty soon I've talked past the exit ramp. There's no period here. And now some guy shoots it, and I hope to hell the goalie stops it so I don't have to go, oh, it's in the net. Why do you think that you've been able to translate your playing career so well into a broadcast career? Like, is there something about, like, the competitiveness you had as a player? Or, like, what, like it's, it's hard for some former players to really make that jump because the jobs are so different. Media is so much different than being a hockey player that there aren't very many people that can – just you and O-Dog and Noodles and like there's some people that have done it really really well but a lot of guys struggle to do that I I always kind of got the media um I don't know why I guess I like to talk and so it never really struck me as as much of a chore um you know I so so speaking in in front of people that never really bothered me um as far as the transition to playing I I never really got much advice actually almost none and I think that was really helpful because had I gotten some advice about this, about broadcasting, you're, you know, the, the broadcasters that would have been giving me the advice would have helped shape in my mind how the job should be. And my view on this job is to be as honest as I can be because sometimes you just don't know, but I'm as honest as I can be about what I see on the ice. Two is that I always keep in mind how hard it is like the game is hard, and I think a lot of media don't quite understand that. And I know fans don't care about that. They want the right play made all the time. And there's a few things I keep in my head. Like you will never, ever hear me say, player X, um, he's got to do something better with the puck than that. Well, that's pretty obvious to everyone watching. He had the puck, he passed it to the other team, and they scored. So my job is, and I've had this in my head, my job is to say what his options would be. And so I kind of keep those things in mind. Um, it's way more preparation than I thought it was going to be. When I retired I, and somebody said, hey, do you want to broadcast? And I'm like, yeah, sure. And then I started because Craig Simpson had actually left Sportsnet at the time to go coach with the Oilers. So a color job opened up in Edmonton. I got a call to audition. I'd done one game and I did an audition and got the job. Right, it happened to be just when I was retiring. I retired in May of 2002, and I started as broadcasting in October of 02. And I just started. I didn't know what I was doing. Kevin Quinn says to me, one of the first broadcasts, my play-by-play partner, we've got to do the opening. What do you want to do? I go, what's the opening? I had no idea. He's like, well, before puck drop. And I'm like, well, what do we do? I was shocked when I did TV. They kind of just throw you into the fire. Like, there's not like it's yeah. it, it's not like you go through a training course for two weeks and this is how it works and this is what you do and then you practice a bunch. It's just kind of like, can you do it or can you not do it? And it's it's very much like a natural. I'll, I'll give you a story about how um, uninitiated and ignorant I was about what happened. So you sit down, you put your headset on, and the producer is talking in your ear. So the first real challenge is that. I'm talking about the game, which I'll call Monday, and the producer's talking about Tuesday in my ear. And I got to make Monday sound right, but he's still talking to me. And so I'm assuming that my headset, which you have your talk back button, that means I'm talking to the producer. I don't realize that I'm talking to the whole truck, that everybody can hear me. So the tape guys, the guys that put the video review together, the highlights together, they can get a jump on what I'm talking about so they can wind it up. So that's how we get the replays as quickly as we do. So something happened. I don't know what happened. And the highlight came up and it wasn't what I was expecting. And I said, I think I'm talking to the producer. And so I go, uh, 
what the hell's going on down there? Do they not know what I'm talking about? And the producer comes back and goes, uh, Ray, you're talking to the whole truck. Oh my God, that I feel like an idiot. Because those guys, what I learned, they care about their job as much as I care about mine. And I didn't realize, I just thought I was venting to the producer. But I basically told the tape guy, hey, wake up, knucklehead, right? And so I, I'm surprised the tape guy didn't say in my ear, hey, you just get your part right and I'll worry about mine. But that was, that's how little I knew about broadcasting. Now after this long, like, like I, I think my, you know, I think people would look at me and, and say that I'm honest and open on the broadcasts and that I don't have a, a leaning one way or the other. And that's, that's what I try to do. Even when I'm doing a Leafs game, I just try to, I try to do it right down the middle. Hell, it's way better if they win and score five goals and we've got lots to talk about because when we're out in Anaheim for the tail end of that road trip, there is not much to talk about. There's not much going on. But see, Ray, that's what I think is interesting about you and makes you awesome. Like you are, I'm not saying this because you're here, you are like the one hockey announcer who I would watch a game for even if I could give a shit about the teams oh, playing. Thanks. And there's like there's like a handful of, not even a handful of people in sports like who are that good, but it's the authentic part of it. It doesn't feel like you're trying to please anyone, but does that ever come with like backlash? Like have you ever, how often would that happen for you? Uh, a few times. Um, um, a couple times with managers in the past. They weren't happy about uh, what I what I had to say. And, um, you know, it's their prerogative. They can, it doesn't mean I have to agree with their view either. And so now I'm in another debate, right, which is fine. I'll defend my position unless I'm really wrong. And so that's happened. Um, I've had a couple of players that have called me aside and not been happy. One of them was Matt Cook. And uh, we were in Calgary. Uh, I believe he was with Minnesota at the time. And uh, he said to me, you know, why do you, why are you always all over me? Like you, you always rip me. And I said, because I, I think you try to hurt people when you play. And, I, and I, I don't think that's the way it should be. And he said something to the effect of, um, look, if I've got somebody in a vulnerable spot, like it's my job to finish the check like to hit them hard. And I'm like, yeah, I don't have to like it. I mean, you can do what you want to do, but I don't have to like it. And so, you know, like he, he wasn't happy. I told him what I thought. And then we went away and he worked hard, not because of that, but he worked hard to rehabilitate his image uh, and his playing style. And then they were playing against Colorado in the playoffs and he stuck his knee out. I think it was on Tyson Berry and, um, and knocked him out of the series. And so then I just went back to right, you know, like there it is again, right? Like it, it seems like the hockey culture with a lot of players and even management and coaches and whatever is it's kind of insular and you don't speak out, you don't rip other people, you don't. And then so when they, you get, there are some people that do it well and you're one of them, but there's almost this fear to criticize hockey because how much it's given people and you're part, you're part of hockey. So, you know, oh, you know but what I'm James, saying? Yeah, but, but, but I love the game and I love what the game has given to me. Like, like when I take a step back, I go, oh my God, when I was a five-year-old kid, six-year-old kid, I wrote in my yearbook that my mom kept um, for each of our four boys in the family. 
it's, you know, it had like your class picture and your best friend and your school and what I want to be when I grow up. And everything in there was like fireman, policeman, nurse, doctor, whatever, whatever kids wanted to be back then. And I've got written in my six-year-old handwriting, NHL player. Like I lived my dream. Like I never thought naive as it was that I was going to do anything else. Like how would you even think of that? Anyway. Was your dad a player? Like, is Oh that... no, my dad. So how, how did business. you know when you're six years old, you want to be an NHL player? I just love, I started to play at that time. And Bobby Orr was my favorite player in May of 1970. He scored the diving through the air goal. And I wanted to be Bobby Orr ever since. And that's like my earliest hockey memory watching the game with my dad. And, um, I, that's what I wanted to do. And so then I played and like, I could never get enough of it. I'd be, you know, people would say to my mom, why doesn't, why doesn't Ray do something else in the summer instead of shoot pucks in the driveway? And why doesn't he do something fun? And cause we never had, you know, a shooting garage or anything. We had a slab of concrete in a net. And she said, well, he thinks that's fun. So she'd back her car out of the carport so I could shoot. And I'd be in there all the time, making my own games up. One year we had a rink in the backyard. Dad built one. And, you know, I thought it was huge. I look back at the old backyard and it was, you know, 25 feet long or something. But apparently I used to sing the national anthem before I'd start playing. And my mom and dad would look from the kitchen window and, like, I just loved it. And I love my job. And I think my job is, is not to be a cheerleader. My job is to say, hey, this is what's going on as I see it, but I'm also really respectful of how hard it is to play in it, to coach in it, and to run the league. I don't agree with Department of Player Safety very often, and I think that's okay that I say that. I don't ever say, man, are these guys a bunch of idiots? I don't know. I've never made those decisions, but my view is they should suspend more rather than less, and that almost guides almost everything that I see with Department of Player Safety. But I'm not disrespectful to George Peros. I've never done George's job. I would do it differently, but I've never done that job. Three weeks ago, I was in New York and I went to Player Safety and I watched what they do on a given night when they had, they had like, it was, it was the game where the Leafs laid an egg in Pittsburgh. And I was yeah. in there sitting with George Peros and they're eating dinner and whatever and they're watching. And you will look at how much work all, there's a, it's a whole room full of monitors and a whole, you know, there's like 12 people in there all watching every game. And they're working hard. Maybe they're not making the decisions that you think. But it was interesting to see kind of the personal side and the process that, that goes into it. And Well, I, I do think, James, people, people believe that Department of Player Safety, they look at a play and they go, yeah, what do you think? I don't know, two games. And, and you're like, that is not it. They spend hours and hours and hours on all those plays. See, I, yeah. I think at times they're splitting the hair so fine. Um, I think the rules could be defined better to help them do their job easier. Um, I'm a proponent after doing hundreds of international games over the last few years of sliding even further towards the international scale. Yes. And, and one of the reasons being that I think it would be easier for the league to deal with that stuff. I, I really do. Now, the first couple of weeks, you wouldn't like the rules, but we get over the world championships and a game and a half in there's five power plays for one team and seven for the other. And you don't even notice it. I, I was looking in the game in Anaheim. So they've played two games since then, but the Leafs had the exact same number of power plays and time shorthanded. 
I'm like through 65 games. That has to be a statistical impossibility that they have committed exactly the same number of fouls that they have taken. And so you're not talking about game management, are you? Well, of course you are. But in Europe, if it's a penalty and there's two minutes left and it's 2-2, they call it. They don't care. And, I, and I'm like, that, that lets, in my mind, it takes the refs and by extension the league off the hook. Have you seen some of, there's been some studies from really smart analytical people where they can see the game management, like they can see that times of the game, the penalties just completely disappear. They can see that if one team has had three penalties called on them and one team has none, that the probability that over the rest of the game, there's going to be a lot of penalties for the team that hasn't taken any penalties. Like they can, it's, it's all I there. haven't seen that, but it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's super blatant in the NHL. Well, just, just think of the number of times you're watching a game and you, it's just a feel. There's nothing that's happening that tells you, and you're like, unless unless Team A does something really stupid, Team B is getting the next power play, and you, and sure enough, there it is. I think it would take it would take heat off the officials to enforce the rule book what's there, but you would have to also educate and give some air so the fan like breathing air so the fans understand that we're not going away from this. You remember the first lockout? They said they were going to call hooking and holding all the time. There was like 11 power plays per team. It was dreadful. In my mind, guys, they were like a month away from getting that right. Like where if you just keep doing it. Just keep doing doing it 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 because eventually I'm the coach and I say to you, hey, Jonas, you've taken five hooking penalties tonight. Guess what? You're not going back on the ice. And then you'd go... I better not take any more hooking penalties or I'm going to sit on the bench the rest of the day. And you'd figure it out. That's literally the point of a penalty. It's a deterrent. Or it's spo- That's why Same I, with the player safety. You're supposed to deter. You're not just supposed you, to like... Okay, so somebody... I forget who it was. Josie. Having a Norris Trophy season. The other day, he cross-checked somebody up in the helmet. And he gets a, you know the maximum fine, which because of his salary was $5,800 or something. I'm like, the guy makes $10 million a year. Do you think $5,800 is a deterrent? No, they're in a playoff race. Suspend them for two games if you deem that to be a suspension. Like the, the fines, they're useless. The, guy, the, the guys are, they don't even impact anything. I think you suspend for deterrence. That doesn't seem to happen. Well, and I mean, you can look at certain examples of guys who don't get suspended. Like I don't think Char has ever been suspended, I think. Which, which is Is astounding. insane. By but the way, how about, and this is a little side note, how about his new play? Where the guy in the high slot on the power play in the bumper spot, and Chara comes and lifts his stick with the force that would lift a car, <laughs> and the guy's stick goes 35 feet in the air, and it's not a penalty. Yet if somebody with one hand on their stick knocks a guy's stick out of his hands, it's penalty. a penalty. You're like, how could that be? It's not like the, the offensive player threw his stick up in the air. Well, I, and it's like sometimes they suspend guys based on personality and yeah. history, and then sometimes they don't. Right, like Brad right, Marchand... Yeah. Can, I don't know, maybe this goes to the top. Maybe this is like Jeremy Jacobs has so much power. But like he can do all kinds of stuff. And then some other guys who, who have a little bit of a history as well, they can't do anything. Anyway, that, it's inconsistent. That that brought up, that just reminded me of something. If you could, other than Connor McDavid or Sidney Crosby, if you could be one player in the NHL, like who would it be? And I often, you, you said Brad Marchand, and so that, that triggered that for me. And the guy I would be is Patrice Bergeron. 
I'm like, oh my God, I wish I could have been as good as him. Like just everywhere, any position, any role, what do you need? Like, But you know what, Ray? The one thing I will interject with that I think is interesting with him because there's a lot of like talk about Matthews and like Mm -hmm. two-way game and all that stuff. Patrice Bergeron wasn't Patrice Bergeron that we think of now at 23. I remember like the start of his career, there was like he had the concussion issues and like he he wasn't this. And that's what I sometimes get frustrated in Toronto. It's like they expect Matthews to be exactly what he should be at his peak at 22. And that's just not real. Of course it's not real, but it's... I'm going to say, of course, but it might happen, so I'll, I'll zip it, but, um, but I'm going to say it anyway. Like Brendan Shanahan says he can score 50 goals and win the Selkie. Not possible. You're not scoring 50 goals and committing the time you have to spend and to be always on that side of the puck. Like Bergeron has sacrificed offense to be the player that he is. I never want Austin Matthews sacrificing offense. I'll find somebody else to do that. When... When the gods have touched you with a shot like that and the instincts like that, I want you to score 60 goals. If we give up eight more goals because you're going to cheat a little bit, oh, I'm all in for that. Well, and they're using the Tavares line in the hard match a lot of the time, like they did in the Boston series last year. They have most of this year, and that, that just makes sense, right? Like you're not going to – you don't want Matthews getting defensive zone starts all night. Well, well, last night in Vancouver, uh, again, this is Wednesday, so it was Tuesday they beat uh, – Who'd they beat? Islanders 5-4 in a shootout. So Travis Green, for the one of the few times this year, matched, hard-matched uh, Elias Pettersson against Matt Barzell, against the other team's top center. Now, they scored on a three-on-two counterattack rush. He spent most of the night chasing Barzell around the defensive zone. And I'm like, yeah, I'd rather have somebody else chasing him around. I need Pettersson to have the puck. And there's the danger of if you don't have Patrice Bergeron or somebody that plays like that, Oh, and he's got two of the best wingers in the league. Like that line is perfectly put together. I, but Patrice Bergeron would be my guy. Oh, I, I would love to have been able to play like that. So this is the Leaf Report podcast, and we haven't really talked about the Leafs a whole lot. Oh, we so got can, lots of time. Yeah, yeah we like, do have. A lot of, no, I was going to say that. Was Whatever nice. happens to the Leafs, nothing. It's always smooth sailing. This this season in particular, I've covered the team like twelve years. Jonas is like fourteen or something like that. This season in particular is. They've got all these expectations, and they've just been all over the place. And it feels like it's there hasn't been like a two or three week span where there hasn't been some crazy storyline to talk about. Like it seems like I don't know. The last two years, the second half of the season was kind of boring because you knew where they were going to finish, and they kind of slept walk through the games. And the players have been saying that. Morgan Riley said that after the game that the way we finished last year was so disappointing, and we just didn't play the way we wanted to. This year has been. It's been crazy. It's so hard to get a handle on what this team is. Well, the first day I showed up this year was out in Newfoundland for the um, for their initial exhibition game, and that was the day. Um, um, that was the contract day, wasn't it? Con- contra- uh, that or was that the that, Matthews? No, that was the uh, Spezza and Babcock. Oh yeah. Uh, Babcock had come out and said, you know, he's. We've got to find out if he really wants to do this. And then Jason's like, yeah, I know. I want to do it. Let's and do that's, it. And I had a lot of meetings about it before I signed. And so, like, from the very first moment of that I remember of camp, there's been some pebble in the shoe all the time. And then there was an injury. There was the fact that the backup goalie couldn't stop anything. There was, um, you know, a, a slowish start, the line juggling, the coach firing, the, like... It's it. You're right. It's been one after another after another, and 
the expectations on the team, I would say, when I look at the roster, I'm like, those expectations were too high. Looking back now, I think yeah. that's right. And yeah, I you know I, who they miss? They miss Connor Brown. Yes. They they miss they miss Ron Hainsey. Yes. They you they know, miss like, those like depth pieces who yeah. do different things and like. And but so, that's that's what happens when you you have to pay four there players. Is, there is nothing on this team in my mind that can't be tied to the fact that they have to pay forty million dollars to four players. I, I don't think you have a, to a, nail everything else. But. You're, but how do you do that? Okay, no so margin? last year, well, because they've there's been some, you can say in hindsight, but even at the time, there's been some decisions that have been pretty costly. Like, did they really need to sign Andreas Janssen to a $3 million contract? Could that have been 2.5? I'm surprised they didn't squeeze those guys. Like, they, That's, they that, could have squeezed Andreas Janssen. They could have taken him to arbitration, done a one-year deal. And but a one-year deal becomes a two-year deal. Right. Because... You go to arbitration, you get one year, he's still a restricted free agent, you qualify him the next year at 10%. Right. Now it's a two-year deal. You win-win. Yeah. And Well, he's if, had a brutal year, too. I mean, he wasn't going to be able to... Last year, Kapanen and Janssen were luxuries, and they scored 20 goals. This year, because of the cap and the money they had to pay, and um, they became necessities. And I think it's, after one year of their contracts, it's easy to see they're better as luxuries than necessities and you can't pay luxuries three million dollars jonas and i were talking about this i think last week right about how you look at their team last year and how many guys they had that were playing were giving you more than what their contract yep. number was and how many they have now and it's it's not even close i mean look how much easier it is to build a team when matthews and marner are on entry-level deals not to mention Kadri and and Janssen's on an entry-level contract and Kappen and i think was still on okay entry so level tell and, me tell me why they had to go three years and three million with both Kapanen and Janssen. I think they went four with one guy, right? Yeah. Janssen four got with four Janssen? Years. Yeah, right. You know, but it's oh. because they they were worried about having them beyond. Like, like they were worried you squeeze them one or two years and then you pay for it down the line. Okay, but if you pay for it down the line, move him then. Yeah, because he's going to have a which you're probably going to have to do anyway. Because, but just think, James. Say you say you take him to arbitration, and he goes in there and he says, "Hey, I had twenty goals." You go in there and say, "Yeah, once." Oh, yeah, you're playing with Austin Matthews. Like, the case would be easy to yeah. chip down number-wise. So let's give Janssen a, a not an injury-destroyed season, but a good season on the back of 20 goals. You give him a 10% raise because you've just taken him to arbitration. You come up with a, maybe a two-year deal because he's still a restricted arb in restricted arb. Yeah. What's he going to do, quit? He's not going to quit. He's going to hold out? Hold out. We'll find somebody else until you decide that, hey, making no money is not good for me. Not playing is no good for me. So then this year, um, I think one of their great stories um, is Justin Hall. Why did they have to sign him then? Well, he was going to be, was he going to be UFA? I think he was, yes, right? That's in July. Age. Yeah. That's in July. Well, they're worried what the, the price is, they're worried what the price was going to be. They're worried if he kept playing the way he was through mm -hmm. the first 30 or 40 games, that you get to the end of the season, he's going to be UFA. The number mm -hmm. would it be higher than two million? Okay, could you? What if you would have said to him at that time, three year or two years at one point seven five, instead of three years at two point two five? They might say no, and I'm going to go to UFA. I mean, like he's a right shot. No, no, I don't know what the discussions were. I'm what I'm saying is that every quarter million dollars matters. Why did they have to sign Pierre Engvall this this year? 
I think he it's, had, it's he, the, it, I, he had played 25 games. They definitely James. should have waited on that. Well, especially because you, the, the underlying numbers for Engvall were so outrageous. He was scoring on like 21% of his shots. And basically when he was on the ice, the puck went in the net now, every single now you time. Now, you know at times what I think of the analytics and the shooting percentage and stuff like that. Sometimes they just match. They match what you see. Right? Because like, a lot of times the numbers don't match. And I'll look at them. Jonas has given me... And 100%, you've given me a lesson on how to read the tables and how to, you know, to understand the numbers that I'm looking at. And sometimes I look at them and go, whoa, that is crazy. I didn't, I didn't see that. And I just watched 20 games in a row. But with Engvall and players like him, you could see the puck was going in from places that it was not going to go in from very often well and they should know the player from the a like I, you watch him in the ahl and he's like yeah a good player but not an offensive dynamo like he, he's probably a fourth line guy because he's not going to produce offense and and but a fourth line guy fine yeah wait till the end of the year again where's he gonna go well, what's he got one point in 20 games or something right now like he's he, got he's got one goal in he 27 games. less on that deal than right so one goal in 27 games it was against the rank manager <laughs> Right, right, like it's well, and that's the thing, right? Like all these bets, they're bets. Like so, and they all matter. They all matter. But so, if, if Andreas Janssen comes in and he puts up sixty points, you're looking at the contract. You're like, yeah, good, good, good job. Yeah. But it's 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 when they add up. So Janssen doesn't live up to his his deal. Kapanen doesn't really live up to his deal. Mm-hmm. Or or like he's like maybe a little bit. He's close, right? Sure. Yep. Three point two. But then then Kerfoot, you sign Kerfoot for four years, three and a half million. And he he's got I think he's turned his season around like I think he's been good but is he three and a half million no so and now like, in those players you're over ten million dollars and so it adds up and yeah. so suddenly now you're 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 tight and, and then your backup goalie you have no money you you keep an AHL goalie who can't stop the puck and like it's like all these things combined together and you're in this position where you're not meeting your the team that's done the best at it and of course some of these bets you get lucky on and they way outperform is Boston. So I read the other day, 52 players on 27 teams make more money than Boston's highest paid player, which is David Krejci. 52 players, more than their entire roster. Something's going pretty good there. So the bets they made, Marchand, uh, Pasternak, Bergeron. They're drafting so well too. Like look at McAvoy <clears throat> and like, like they just keep getting and, guys that and can now play. Now there's going to come a time because McAvoy signed a two-year deal, there's going to come a time when they're going to get punched right in the nose with the cap. But this all goes back to $11 million for John Tavares. Because if, if you've bet that, it pulls those four guys into a salary range that you knew was going to be quite expensive. That's high rent district, right? Unless this cap starts to climb, Right, which probably their projection said. Can it you was just go- say to some of those young players though that you're not John Tavares? Like, look, look at what John Tavares has accomplished, and look at what he's a UFA, and like logically, you shouldn't be able to demand what he got. In in my um, travels, the 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 thought has been the money flowed too easily from the Leafs side, and. If you could have squeezed a half a million dollars from each of the guys, that's $2 million a year. Now you don't have Dennis Mulgan playing on your third line. 
because he can't play there. Part of why that happened is that they could have signed those young guys in advance. Like like part of why Pasternak signed for as little as he did is because they signed him early. They could have done that with Nylander and, and Matthews and Marner. And I'm pretty sure all of them would have signed cheaper deals than they ended up with. I, that whole idea that Lou Lamarillo says, if you have time, you take time. It costs them a lot of money just waiting and waiting. And then, you know, Marner didn't have a 94-point season to negotiate off of. Right. And the talk was that he would have taken eight and a half, nine million and, and on so, a longer deal. So it's even like it's even like when you look at what happened in Edmonton. So now Leon Dreisaitl at eight five. Holy smokes, man. I the guy's got hundred and ten points. The order that they signed those two contracts, maybe it couldn't have been different, but when McDavid went first at twelve point five, I believe he's at, how can you get Dreisaitl at seven point five? You can't. So it's all intertwined. The decisions you make a long time ago, a couple of summers ago, they come back to impact everything that you do. And if you look at the Leaf roster, even including Mikheyev and Janssen, if you just add those two, they're still pretty thin. They're, they are, like, because that doesn't fix anything on the blue line, which, whether they agree or not, that's, that's a concern. Um, I like Travis Dermott. I like him a lot the last three weeks. Um, whatever had gone on coming back from the shoulder and not playing, and it's like the more responsibility he got, the better he got, which is pretty cool. Um, that might help them going forward uh, with the decisions they're going to they're gonna have to make. But that's the, the difference of the top of their roster to the middle six or like the bottom six. Oh, my gosh. Like it's... You can it, barely play those third and fourth lines yeah, and expect it, it, anything. Yeah. You're, and, you're hoping they're placeholders. Well, and that's why you have to, if you, you watched him at the World Juniors, Nick Robertson, if he's a star, yeah. you're great. Like, that's 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 hit. And then you find Mikheyev for nothing. Hit. That's you have money to, in like, the bank, master man. that stuff. Yeah. And then it works. But it's hard. Well, I would assume lots of people looked at Mikheyev, right, over the last couple of years. They were able to get him that is a win for their organization like that guy's a player and i don't know what his numbers They're will good. no but i mean oh, i don't yeah. know what they will be like is he going to be a 18 to 22 goal score say that's what he is man he's big and he can skate and he kills penalties and he's got better hands you got to pay him now though ray he needs a he needs a new deal yeah absolutely unfortunately you've got 40 million dollars tied up in four guys <laughs> that you can't unwind the clock but there's on. another one where it's like you and it's hard with those guys like when they have a khl option where they can get mm-hmm. a lot of money it's harder to squeeze a guy like that like the way they did with Janssen. because because well, mckayev can go i'm gonna go play for moscow and i'm gonna make three four million but at some point do you not have to say okay we yeah. can't kill your we can't kill our budget for you. Did you see the agent uh, Milstein's the agent? He someone said uh in response to one of his tweets, "Oh, they got they got to get this guy signed." And Milstein responded with the Jerry Maguire show me the money gif of the <laughs> Right. <laughs> like well, that's not going to be an easy negotiation. That's well, that's where Lou Lamorello ran into trouble with uh Zaitsev with the 7-year deal that was a complete washout is that they were saying we're just going to go back to Russia. And so sometimes I think you have to say, "Well, you go ahead." And I, th- yeah, I think you're and, right. I think the Leafs had to do, have had need to do more of that. You know, you know what I think. One thing that is available, guys, is is the one year, the one year older player, twenty nine, thirty years old. You bring him in for one year, and you try and hit on a couple of those guys that 
don't have a lot of options. They're not going to be making $3 million. They're going to make a million. And you go, you know what? Dallas did it. They with- did that before, like with Tyler yeah, Ennis and but, like Spezza. And, but you but need better. You need better Yeah, but, but Ennis, is, Ennis was, unfortunately for them, they decided they couldn't keep him or couldn't keep him. But he was an effective player. Yeah. Put him on this team, and you're like, yeah, that spot's taken care of. But I guess what I mean is like the, the last time they did it, I remember, was when they were really bad. And they took all those veteran guys on one-year deals. Barento and boys. And-, and remember, they flipped them for picks. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the guy that you get for one year that comes in, can play. Now, it didn't work out in Nashville, and maybe maybe his best days are gone. But, but a guy like Wayne Simmons, who signed a one-year deal in Jersey. Well, Pat Maroon did it, right? Yep. He, yeah. And I thought maybe they would sign a guy like that. Like the problem with Ennis is that he wanted to play more. Like sure. they barely played no, him. No. He was on the fourth and, line, and that's why he left. And that's going to happen. Yeah. But there's there's a hell of a lot of players around that might find themselves in that boat, and it won't be the same every year. I'm not. Trust me. I'm not saying running an NHL team is easy. And oh, you should do this and this and this. It never lines up the way we probably think it should. It's always, always more difficult. And we were talking about this at the game last night. One of the mistakes, one of the problems that they've run into is that they did try and get some of those guys, and they haven't been very good. Nick Patan, uh, Agostino, uh, Aberg. They did try and get like a bunch of, I mean, they're not, those aren't like established veteran guys, but they made some bets with one-way deals on these guys, it's, it's, and they haven't been able to play. That's a good point, though, James. That's, those aren't the guys I'm talking about. They're ta- they were looking at guys with some upside. I'm looking at guys that you know exactly what they are, that they can play in the NHL. What would a 15-goal established guy look like on your third line that's 29, 30 years old? You bring him in. Here's your job. This is, this is the role. Would you well, like look at like Ron Hainsey. Like you can, can have a lot of problems with Ron Hainsey, but they signed him for two years, I think, was it $3 million? And should he be playing on their top pair? Probably not. But was he like a dependable person to have on your team for sure and that's this is the only other thing i wanted to ask you about and then if james we should wrap because you're no, taking no, too good, much man. of your time but i've been wondering like a lot about experience in the gm job in the coach's job i've i've thought a lot about it just as the season's gone on and crazy shit just mm-hmm. keeps happening and yeah. some of it has nothing to do with them but some of it does and i've wondered like how would lula morello handle x situation like how would if he how would if he handled Neander. So Neander comes, says, "I'm not going to camp." What would Neil, what would Lou Lamorello do? And there was a chance Lou Lamorello would make it worse. He would say, "You know what? You're not coming to camp. You're gone. Trade him. Lose the player who a year later is like a star." What do you think? Like, I don't know. How do you value experience in those positions? How, how do you think it's affected them? Like Kyle Dubas is is learning on the job. He's two years in the job almost. Sheldon Keith, first-year coach. Like. I, I guess, Jonas, I don't look at it like what it would be like for a coach or a GM. I look at it in anything. And it is impossible to think that experience cannot help you, either good or bad. I discounted that, and now I've learned my lesson a little you know, bit. Like it's, it's hard. I'll, gi- I'll give you from a player's perspective. So you come in the league, you've got all this energy, you're running all over the place, and then after about a year or two, you go, you know, when they dump the puck in the, when my winger dumps the puck in the corner, I race into the left corner and then I race into the right corner and then I race all the way back. I'm a step behind all the time. 
And by my third year, I go, you know what? Instead of racing into the left corner, the D's probably, because of the way the puck was dumped in, he's going to pass it to the right corner. So I'm going to come down and cut the ice in half. So now I've only got to go half as far. And because I go half as far, I'm going to be able to get a stick on his breakout pass. We're going to get the puck back. I don't have to skate all the way back. Experience taught me that. And I'm sure that each and every situation that Kyle comes across, of course, is different than being a general manager and junior. And he will look and gather the information and go, oh, I should have done that differently. He doesn't have to come out and tell us. You don't have to do that. But he'll deal with things a lot differently, I would suspect, going forward just by, yeah, I remember when I dealt with this other thing that I had to, I, I should have done it differently. The only thing I'll say, though, Jonas, is that like they've had, they had some of the most experienced people in the entire league and they were making mistakes too. I mean, yeah, the but experience made doesn't. Big, experience it's not just experience. Doesn't, no, experience doesn't mean perfect. Yeah, experience means you've got a view of. But we can sit what, here and debate who's made more mistakes. Was it Lou Lamarello or was it Kyle Dubas? And that, like, you know, like it's. Well, I don't, I'm not defending Lou Lamorello. Yeah. I don't think that. I thought it was the right move to yeah. change GMs. I, th- I didn't like a lot of the stuff Lamorello did. I still think it is. But I, I've learned now to value some of the, and even with some of the players on their team, I've learned to value some of that stuff more than maybe I did. I'll give you an time. example. Hainsey is you think, one example. I'll give you an example. Do you think um, Craig Berube is a better coach now or when he coached in Philly? Of course now. Right? And, and the only reason is because... He went through hundreds of games after he got fired coaching in the American League and probably came up with, yeah, I did that, but I probably should do this. I don't know. Do you guys do everything the same way you did when you were 20? No, I don't do everything the same I did a year ago. Right, because experience tells you it'll be different. There's no debate, Kyle, in my mind anyway, there's no debate that Kyle is a really sharp guy. And he's got some different ideas about building a team than a lot of other guys who have been established have decided to build the team because of their experience. And the future will tell us whether his ideas are right or whether he is going to change a little bit of the idea. You guys asked me a bit ago about broadcasting and getting into it, and I mentioned that I never got any advice. I had to learn, or I got very little. I had to learn kind of on my own, but I didn't have any one influencing the way that I was going to learn. And that, you know, Kyle learned from Lou, and I'm sure he took a few things that Lou did and went, it's a good idea. Wow, I never would have thought of that. Lou's been around for 50 years. How could you not learn unless you're close-eared and eyed to everything? And Kyle's not like that. I bet you if in 10 years when we ask him, what was the difference between year two and four of your tenure as a general manager, he'll give you five things. And he'll say, oh, yeah, I learned this, 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 this. Because he's a learner, and I, I think he's got a thirst for it. And I would assume running an NHL team is the most complicated thing he's ever done. So I guess the question is, are the, the growing pains or some of the, the mistakes that are being, are they going to be worth it you know, in four or five years? Like is, is the, where the team is going to get to and where he's going to get to as a GM, is that going to be hmm. – that That's because the game, They could have let him leave. There were, other, there were yep. plenty of other teams that would have taken him as, as but a that, GM. But isn't that – James, isn't that the game? That's life. You're, yeah, you're like, I don't know. We're hiring young people all the time at The Athletic, and it's yeah. like, are they, are they going to – you know, sometimes there's a bumpy first season, and, and then we're going to get what we want out of them after that. And, and so will this experiment work, or will they get to a point where they're a – 
you know, as they've built this skill, skill, skill vision, puck possession vision, well, they get to a point and go, yeah, you know what, we got to alter that a little bit. Because nobody's done or nobody's done what they're trying to do. It's never been that far down the road, skill-wise. The, the example I most often get is, is Chicago. But when I, went, when I remember the Chicago Stanley Cup teams, never has Dustin Bufflin been considered a small skill forward. What about some of those Pittsburgh teams? Remember when it was like Straka and Kovalev, and like they were like very like all offense, like very okay. But they, Alex, they, were, they were great to watch. Sure, but that was that was in the nineties. Yeah, right. So like but that's kind of what that's sort of the same idea. Yeah, there were some Washington teams where Semin and those guys, Mike Green, was their top yeah, defenseman and didn't win. Like a, a, my. It's so hard to win. I would think that if you were just, if you're on this skill road 100%, my guess is you can't win. My, my, you're going to get pushed out of a game along the road. And the reason you'll get pushed out of the game is back to the way the analytics of the way games are called. Remember as we were talking? Mm. like. Well, they're, not, gonna, they're not drawing penalties. Like that's a big problem. If they were if they were leading the league and drawing penalties, imagine how much better their record would be because they have the, you know, such a great power play. There, there's going to come a time where, and we've seen every year, um, there'll come a time when you look at the team that wins, and you go, man, those guys have been punched in the face 150 times, and you have to be able to fight through it. I got to the semifinals one year. We lost out to Montreal. That was the year Montreal scored 10 overtime winning goals in a row. Like, sick, crazy. I still hate them for that. But I remember the exhaustion of what that playoff round, playoff series were like. I missed 38 games that year when I broke my ankle. So I missed three months, and I was still, like, hanging on by a thread. It's hard. And I think that the... The skill-only version is going to be really difficult. I think you need some stoutness at, at somewhere along the line, and that's what Tampa's tried to do. We'll see if it works. Do you think the Leafs are, like, they get Clifford and, and Muzzin's a big piece for them that they've, like, it almost seems like they're already starting to deviate a little bit from sure. that. Sure, yeah. and don't you think it's, ne- I mean, I'll, I won't say don't you think, I think it's necessary because. But you know what it's going to come down to, to me, in addition to that, is they need their big three. Yeah. We can exclude Tavares from this. They need those guys to have like some, I've told it to you, like some fuck you where it's like, you're not. And we see it. We've seen it more often with Neilander because he's the guy who always gets like picked apart in that. Yeah. When he, when he digs in, he's like, I'm getting the puck back. And if that happens, then I think some of that'll be, some of that'll be as they get older. Yeah. Because here's the other thing about playing again is that you think you're giving all you can. Yeah. And then one time you'll see something and you'll do it and you'll go, oh, I got another gear. Like how, I think the the strides in Matthew's game are very evident for for me. I actually think Marner's taken a step back this year. How from, come? From what he did last year. Last year, I remember just this tenaciousness, this hunger, um, block a shot, like drop down and block a shot. Now, I don't want Mitch Marner blocking a whole bunch of shots because I don't want him to get hurt um, for his stature on this team. But I don't see quite as much of that, that tenacity. And I don't know if it's... I think it's the contract stuff. It, I was just going to say, I don't know if it's everything else besides the game that wears you down. But those guys, because they're too good, they will find it. Yeah. And it might not be this year. And that sucks because everybody's... 
oh my god, I want it now, I want it now. We're starting to see a little bit of it, right? Like the season Nylander's having, you see games where he does it, and yeah. he can, and, and like you said with Marner, we've seen him do it before. We're seeing Matthews do it more and more. It's almost like the, it's starting to come into view. And the, here's the best part about it. When those guys get it, like it's bullshit to say, oh, they've got to be like that 82 times a year. That's not it's happening. Not it's not physically, yeah. humanly possible. But when they get 50 of those games from these guys, the other guys don't have a choice. They're like, oh, the guy making $10.5 million is our hardest worker again. And then when he goes to practice, he does what he does at a pace that drags everybody along. It happens. It really does happen. They'll get there. It just, unfortunately, it might not be right now. And in this fishbowl that they play in, everything is, is so important every day. They were fantastic for two periods yesterday against Tampa. Do either of you have any full confidence that they'll play the same way tomorrow? No, that's been the season. Yeah. Like, you have no idea what Because you don't, right? Now, they might be great again tomorrow, or they might not. And there'll be a time when that won't be a question. The crazy thing is that they could go into the playoffs and get Tampa in round one, and they could win that series. Like, we've seen them play Tampa really, really well. And they, I mean, look at some of the games they played against Boston in the first round last year. Yeah. Like, game five, wasn't it, where they, they were unbelievable. Like, it was one of their best games that we've ever seen them play. So you can't write this team off. You you said at one point, this is going back like 20 minutes or whatever, you said that you look at that roster and it's not a top team. Like, yeah, I said they're thin. But, like, where are they? They're like the sixth or seventh best roster in the league. Like, they're not... Yeah. They're not a mediocre team. They're not an average team. No, but team. what are we talking about? Are we talking about a team to make the playoffs, or are we talking about a team to win the Cup? Well, they had 100 points last year. They had 105 the year before. I think they're, they're still in that ballpark. Like, they're not, they're not a 120-point team, but they're not, they're not a dog. They're... Oh, but I, I don't think – I mean, are people saying that they're a dog team? Sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I mean they've, they've had enough clunkers that make you go, I can't look at them like a real contender. Yeah. And that's where I am. They've had too many clunkers for me to say that's a legit contender. Well, you wrote that piece last week. Are the Leafs still a contender? And everyone was social media. We go back to what we were talking about before. They were all yelling at you. But it's a legitimate question. They're kind of in between somewhere right that, now. That's it. That's exactly. That's exactly where they are. You, they're not in the. You can make a case both ways. Yeah, they're that's not. They're, but they're do. not in the bottom um, eighteen teams in the league. Not a chance. They're a top 10 team. Unfortunately, they're going to have to get through some really good teams to get anywhere. And that, like, you look at Tampa. In that first round, they'll have Victor Hedman back. That changes 25 minutes of that defense. That means you're playing McDonough or Hedman. Yeah. Now, Stamkos won't be back. But in that first round series that... You know, that's where they're going to play if they well, make it. Well, you see it. point, and you yeah. just watch point, and you're like, oh, my God. Okay, so there's there's what you need. You need a third-round draft choice like That's Brady what you point. need. That's literally how And it... maybe that's what Nick Robertson will, yeah. in, in some form, will turn out to be. I love the kid. He's a buzzsaw. He's tenacious. He's skilled. He's thick. You know, because there's a difference between being a small guy and and a different kind of small guy. His size will not be well, an issue. Well, like Brad Marchand is tiny. He's like uh, but, barely but Robertson is built kind of in that form. And I uh, I think I was really really impressed by him. I was looking at his numbers. Like do you know how many guys who he's only 18 get 55 goals in 46 games in junior? Yeah. No one does that. 
He's the, the last guys to do that are like Tavares and like it's some of the best players. It's amazing what he's what he's done. I use I have this one adjective that I like. I love it for Quinn Hughes. I love it for Kale McCarr, and I'll use it in for Robertson too um, in their game. Not whether he's going to be a rookie of the year candidate, but they're bold. They're not scared. Not scared is the they got they got the puck. They're going to make a play. And if it doesn't happen, they're going to make the play next time. I love it. Can he play like on a second line next year? No. I think he's going to be in the NHL next year, though. Oh, I think he can be. So third line? Sure. So he's that's, when, that, that's when you move on from a Janssen or a Kapanen, and then here's a guy that... So what if what if Kapanen or Janssen... Uh, Janssen would be harder, of course, coming off his injury, but um, what if they're moved for a similar-priced defenseman? And you have and you look at Robertson and go, Robertson can play on the third line and get us ten to twelve goals. I almost think they can just go to UFA and sign one of the defensemen that's available, like a Brody or a Tanev or a Hamanick. Like there's a bunch of right defensemen you can get them in for I don't know, depending on the guy, four million, five million. I think you could do better I think on a trade? I, I think you can do better for that salary if because you're gonna have to move some salary out. Yeah. I, I would think. But Yeah, they do. I, I think Robertson will be a factor. For sure, they, he's a he's one of those guys that you you can get really excited about uh, from Toronto's perspective. And that's one of the first drafts that they've really had where it's yeah because he was named G Dubis was named GM mid May of the year before, right? See now here's the thing: Jonas and I will cheer for him because he's our size. <laughs> you tall guys, you like you look past them all the time. You know? Yeah, I'm a big well. He knows like I like the the big lanky guys who you know. Yeah, who've, I like Chara. Like I remember, I watched Chara play junior in the WHL, and like I was always like, "Look at that guy!" Like he's yeah, yeah. And if if they can just teach him to turn, he might be something. Oh, he's forty two and he's still playing. Did you ever? See, yeah. Well, did you see him play in junior? Like I saw him play for Prince no, George, and like he was so raw and so bad. And the, the big the enforcers would all just try and beat the crap out of him, and they couldn't. But he was a big rail. He was like six nine, like two hundred pounds. I never saw him back then. I uh, want to one thing in my uh, somebody's. Uh, I mentioned it once and somebody found the box score, but um, uh, I actually got a roughing penalty with him. <laughs> it didn't go very, it didn't, it didn't go very well he for me. He should have been scared. <laughs> I, I got, uh, mine was more along the lines of some stick work and his was like grabbing me by the lapel and picking me up off the ice. <laughs> yeah, I was like a little kid kicking my feet. But this is a bit of a tangent, but I've noticed that there are more guys that are built like me that are like that are skaters in the NHL now. Like that there's that Tage Thompson who's like he's like 6'5", like yeah. 190. Like there's like these and Engvall's Engvall's ripped. Like he's he's But not, the game is so different. There's like these like, lean greyhound guys yeah. now that are playing. Yeah, but it, when when I was still playing Every year, it was about getting heavier yeah. and stronger. My last year, now it's speed. I, I weighed 195 pounds. I'm 5'9". I, I was like 6% body fat. 195 pounds. Man, I would be 175 pounds. Just think how much faster you can go 20 pounds lighter. The game is just, it's crazy how fast it is and how, how the game has changed in, in 20 years. Um, but at the end of it, there's something that, hasn't changed and and part of that will tell the story with the Leafs too is you have to have courage you you have to have courage to fight for a puck you have to have courage to get a puck out you have to have courage to block a shot and there will be enough of it or there won't but you can learn some of it and I and I I think that's part of the learning curve that the Leafs are going through and will get to like I I don't doubt that 
the the courage is there. I just don't know if it. I don't. Well, not I don't know. It's not realized yet on this roster. We could talk all day. I think we got to wrap it up, though, right? We should just do this again sometime. You can. I mean, like, I mean, Jonas is here with his coconut milk. Is that coconut milk, Jonas? It's alkaline spring water. Oh, well, it's not. It's I've from... noticed your energy since drinking the alkaline spring water. <laughs> I should have brought you guys some. <laughs> no, but you're very selfish, and yeah, well, but I, yeah, known. absolutely. I am. Uh, I'm back a few more times. We got. Uh, well, we'll see. <laughs> We'll oh, see what happens. Yes, good point. That's a way. I'm, or we can do it over the phone. Yeah, you know, just like I'll the be games. in my house. You can be. You guys can be wherever you're doing the games from. Well, so for people, obviously, five o'clock on Overdrive. Yep. Best segment in radio. All your games on on TSN. The Quattro, as Mark Masters likes to tell us, and the Ray and Dregs podcast. I like your podcast. It's Thank good. You. We're uh, we're getting it tomorrow. We got Wendell Clark on. So, oh baby, uh, we'll in- interview Wendell. Going to mention to him about the time he just about killed me in junior. He ran over me like a speed bump. Oh my god! I don't think he even slowed down. Well, he's enormous. Well, and we had heard a lot about him. And he's he was mean, a, right? He's seventeen, and everyone's like, you know, keep your head up around. They got this defenseman. He's a seventeen-year-old. He's pretty tough, and boom, 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 he went over top of me like that. I was like, oh. I guess that would be him. How did you survive the dub back in like the eighties? Like that's in, yeah. like it was crazy. Even when I remember watching it, in, like the mid nineties, there were like brawls and there were there were a couple of brawls that I was involved in, not by choice. That where like I can't even imagine what the coverage would be today if those things happened. We we had a couple in Brandon. Ron Hextall was our goalie, and uh, Hexy was a a significant part of of both of them um they were they were crazy 40 minutes between before the start of the second period uh somewhere along the line our general manager kicked the shit out of their coach he came down from the press box grabbed them and just pummeled them um the next year in binghamton uh 40 minutes or so before a game in warm-up um they brought, they brought these police dogs on the ice. The dogs were licking the ice. I don't know what they thought the dogs were going to do. But anyway, like, it was madness. And I would look, to answer your question, I would look on the board before a game, and they'd have their lineup there, and I'd go, there's a brawl tonight. I could grab him, that guy. Ooh, not that guy. And then when the brawl happened... The best part was I'd be looking for one of those guys. They were looking for me. <laughs> we were yeah, like, just match up. Oh, please come over here. Musical you. chairs. Because every once in a while you'd get a hold of somebody, and as soon as he grabbed you, you'd go, uh oh. And everybody else is busy. And you're like, I got to get away from this guy. This is not going to turn out well. Oh, man. That's great. Well, Ray, thank you for, for coming on. And Awesome. There'll be lots, uh, lots more to talk about with the Leafs and. Um, hope everybody stays safe and um, hand sanitizer. Use lots of it. We're, we're going to use. I'm going to steal that one because there's not very much of it around. You know. No, I know people. Are, I, apparently, they're charging like fifty dollars a bottle in some places. It's crazy. That's, <laughs> well, I don't know what's more crazy: buying the hand sanitizer or seeing the video of somebody with 150 rolls of toilet paper. Got to be prepared. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Ray. James, you want to say anything else? Thanks. Say thanks. Thanks, Ray. Thanks.